We'll take one verse from our text for our scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. This is a wonderful verse in God's Word. This is one that I find myself often quoting as I'm praying. This is a great verse to get a hold of if you're weary or if you feel worn out from the battle, maybe feel discouraged, sometimes maybe even feel like giving up. This is really, to me, both a promise and a commandment all rolled up in one, and it encourages us to consider him, speaking of Jesus, and what he endured, the things he went through so we could have victory. And it certainly is a wonderful verse for encouragement. But with the Lord's help this morning, we'll look at just one word in verse 3, and that's the word consider. We will consider what it means to consider. You know, the word consider is used 67 different times in Scripture, so it's important to understand what it means to consider. Some definitions are to think about carefully with regard to taking some action, to take into account some synonyms for that word, or to contemplate, ponder, think upon, a way out, wrestle with. Well, the Word of God gives us many things to consider. For the sake of time, we will only look at just a few of those things, but you might call this message themes for consideration. The first thing that the Lord tells us to consider in his word is something quite small. Proverbs 6, verse 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. It says, Consider her ways and be wise. Proverbs 30, verse 24 and 25 tells us there are four things which be little upon the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The first thing mentioned in that list is the ant. If anyone ever tells you you have the IQ of an ant, thank them. They may be giving you a compliment. They're exceedingly wise. Well, what can we learn from the ant? Well, we know ants are industrious. They're hardworking. They understand the importance of diligence and hard work. There are over 12,000 different species of ants. You've got the carpenter ant, the fire ant, the honeypot ant, the red ant, the black ant. I won't name all 12,000, but you have a lot of ants. You'll never find a couch potato ant. Ants are not lazy. They know the value of hard work. They work when they're given the opportunity to work, and they do not procrastinate. Ants understand the importance of taking care of today, what needs to be done today. They don't put off tomorrow what needs to be done today. Well, certainly there's a spiritual application here, not just in our physical labor, but as Christians, when we're saved, we are called to work for the Lord. We become servants of Jesus Christ, and we are in His employ, and we want to make sure that we 
do our jobs for the Lord diligently, faithfully. We want to work when we're given the opportunity to work. Jesus himself understood the importance of working while there was time to work. In John 9, verse 4, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus' whole public ministry lasted three years. He began at the age of 30. By the age of 33, they nailed him to that cross. You think about what Christ accomplished in those three years. He knew he had an opportunity, a short opportunity. Of course, he said, I didn't come to do my own work, but the one of him who sent me. But Jesus was diligent about working for the master. We want to treat our calling to the Lord in the same manner. You know, it is the greatest privilege in all the world to be called to work for the Lord, whatever capacity he puts us in. We want to make sure we do it with the right attitude and in the right spirit. It says, whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord and not to man. So we want to be diligent about how we work for the Lord and we want to take advantage of the time he's given us to do that. Think about some words to an old poem and one of the words says, um, only when life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. So we want to take advantage of the time the Lord has given us. When the Lord returns, we want to be found working for him. That's why Jesus told his followers, occupy till I come. So certainly we can learn something from the ants about working. Ants are not easily discouraged. Ants are not quitters. You know, if you come in an ant hill, you can kick it over. You can run it over with the mower. You can try to wash it away with the hose. Immediately, they will begin to rebuild it. They don't file a complaint with the HR department. They don't go on strike. They don't complain. They just get right back to work. It's programmed in them. They aren't easily discouraged. They just keep going. Well, Galatians 6, 9 says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There is a payday coming for the child of God, but we must labor and work for that day. But when that payday comes, it will be worth every effort we make, but we, we don't want to be weary in well-doing. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied in your minds and faint. So we want to keep going. Jesus himself said, They that endure to the end shall be saved. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So we want to take some lessons from the ant. Ants understand the importance of unity and working together. You know, a colony of ants can be just a small number of ants, or you can have many members there's even something called super colonies that are literally made up of millions of different ants. But every single ant has an individual job within that colony. People have researched an ant colony, and it says it is one of the most efficient, well-governed organizations in all the world because each ant works in the place where he's put to work. He isn't concerned about what the other ants are doing. The ant's busy, but he's not a busy body. He's concerned about the work he's been called to do. And by working together, uh, it creates this very efficient organization, and it works well. 
and they understand the need to stay in their own lane. They're not concerned about what the other ants are doing. They do diligently what they're called to do. It's interesting. When ants are out foraging for food, apparently if they come to a body of water, they will actually bind themselves together and they will roll themselves up in a ball. And they will somehow get in that river and they will let that river carry them over to the other side. And when they get to the other side, they'll disperse and go on their way. That's teamwork. Well, we can learn some lessons from the ant. We want to consider her ways and be wise. You know, a church is a lot like an ant colony. We can have a few members or many members, but it says we're many members but one body. And we have one Lord and Master, that's Jesus Christ. And it tells us in Ephesians, we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace for the health of our organization and our church, for the productivity of the church. We must be willing to work together, endeavoring. That means we've got to try sometimes to work together to keep the bond of peace. You know, the only time we're to provoke one another is to provoke one another to good works. The only time we're to strive is to strive to enter in. The only time we're to contend is to contend for the faith. But as a body of believers, we want to work together. You know, uh, revival happens when there's a unified body, and that's certainly what we would love to see, but it's up to each of us individually. Ants are selfless and sacrificial. Ants will give their lives defending another ant or the colony. They will literally lay down their lives to surrender or to, to uh, protect the colony from invaders. You know, in 2018, they discovered a new type of ant. They call it the exploding ant. And this ant will literally, in an effort to defend the colony, sometimes they will blow up. They'll sacrifice their life to, to, to defend the colony. Apparently it's pretty effective because they spray this sticky yellow goo everywhere. They don't want to get it on you. It's pretty nasty stuff. But the fact is they're willing to lay down their lives for the defense of the other ants. Well, the Word of God says, Greater love hath no man than this, and a man will lay down his life for his friends. But you know, Jesus took it a step further. It says that God commended his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Jesus died for us. But we can learn some lessons from the ant. It says well, they'll know we're Christians by our love one for another. We should have that same sacrificial, selfless love toward one another. Husbands can learn to love their wives by examining the ant. Ephesians tells us, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I love my wife. She knows I do. And I've told her, you know, I'd be willing to take a bullet for you. Most husbands have probably told their wives that. It sounds very heroic, maybe a little macho, I don't know. But my wife's very practical. And she said more than once, well, I know you'd be willing to lay down your life and take a bullet, but right now I just need you to take out the trash. That's a lot easier than taking a bullet. But we show our love by the selfless, sacrificial things we do, even the little things. We want to make sure that we're serving one another. We can learn some lessons from the ant. It says the ant is considered exceedingly wise. 
Well, they are considered exceedingly wise because they understand the value of preparation. This is they are people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. You know, preparation is the difference between success and failure. Preparation will be the difference between where some will spend eternity. Someone said, one thing greater than the will to succeed is the will to prepare. Without preparation, failure is inevitable. You know, God is a God of preparation. We think of the attributes of God. We may not think of preparation as an attribute, yet God is a God of preparation. You think what God did. God prepared the earth, then filled it. God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. God sent John the Baptist ahead of time to prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus said he went away to prepare a place for us. Jesus was prepared way ahead of time before the world ever began to be that sacrifice for sin. It said he was slain from the foundations of the world. God one day planted a seed in the ground. That seed would grow to be a tree. That tree would be used to prepare that cross that Jesus would die upon. God is a God of preparation. He's provided everything we need. He's given us all the resources available and this time on earth to prepare for eternity. We want to be like the ant. We want to take advantage of the time we're given. We can consider the ant and be wise. In Luke 12, 27, it tells us about something else to consider. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. This was part of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. That's the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Jesus addressed every issue of life. You might wonder why in the world in the middle of that sermon would he draw our attention to the lilies? But Jesus, I believe, was teaching by comparison, by way of example. He was warning against unnecessary worry and care and anxiety. You know, I think Christ's early disciples and followers are just like his disciples today. We have a tendency to worry about the same things. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How are we going to be clothed? How are we going to make ends meet? All of these things. And Jesus, I believe... This was a gentle rebuke, really, but a reminder that he cares for us. Jesus loves us. You know, he was reminding them of the divine detail and attention that God gave even to the lilies. And in previous verses, he talked about the fowls of the air and the sparrows. They don't toil or gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And then he reminds us, how much more important are you than all of these things? says, your father knoweth that you have need of these things, and he gives us a key. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things that we worry about, these will be automatically added to us. You know, if the Lord would give such divine love and care and attention to these small, insignificant things, these things without any souls or any eternal value, how much more does he care for you? He does care for you. Jesus loves you. If you doubt that, consider the lilies. The Lord knows where you are. He knows everything that you need, and we can trust him to provide those things for us. There's something interesting about lilies. There's one particular lily 
It's actually referred to as the lily of the valley. That's an actual flower. Of course, we know Jesus is referred to as the lily of the valley. There's that song that speaks about that. And the songs of Solomon, uh, many commentators believe that the reference here of the lily of the valley is, is being made to Christ. But this particular flower, this lily of the valley, actually has medicinal properties. It's actually used to treat certain diseases. And a couple of those things that it's used to treat are heart problems and leprosy. thought that was a little interesting. A little lily trivia for you there. But you know, I thought there's a spiritual application we can certainly make. Jesus is the lily of the valley. We know that. And there's healing in the power of Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that plagues all of humanity is a heart problem. Not a physical one, but a spiritual one. We are born with a heart that's corrupted by sin, with a bent toward the wrong thing. But Jesus Christ can heal the heart problems. One drop of Christ's precious blood can take care of all of the problems. Leprosy is often referred to or compared to sin. And again, we know Jesus Christ, you know, he doesn't just treat sin, he cures sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, it says his son cleanses us from all sin. What a wonderful thing we have if you're struggling, if you're in sin, if you don't know how to get victory, if you don't know what to do, turn to Jesus, that lily of the valley. He's available today. Again, one drop of that precious blood can take care of all of the problems you may be dealing with this morning. You know, there's one other thing that we want to consider. This is the one thing man should be considering the most, but it's often the one thing that man considers the least. Of course, that's eternity. Someone once said, man is the one creature who knows he's going to die and he spends his entire life trying to ignore that fact. But the statistics are in. One out of every one person will die. It's just a fact of life. Every one of us here will one day face eternity somewhere. Someone said, man is concerned about the origin of the species which has already been determined more than he is about the destiny of the species. Well, that question is unanswered for so many, but the good news, it doesn't have to be unanswered. We can be prepared for eternity. James 4, 14 asks a very sobering question. It says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. What is your life? Well, it answers that question. It's a vapor. You ever try to catch a vapor in your hands? It just drifts right through your fingers. It appears just for a moment, and it's gone. And the Word of God here is reminding us, even if you're blessed with 80 or 100 years, you stack that up next to eternity, it's a vapor. Here for a little time, and then it vanisheth away. Jesus tells us what a man's life does not consist of. Luke 12, 15, it says, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You know, your life, your eternity is not based upon or graded by or determined on 
by what you possess. Your earthly possessions will amount to zero in eternity. What you possess in your hearts is what will make the difference, not what's in your 401ks or your bank accounts. Malcolm Forbes was one of the wealthiest men that ever lived, and when he died, he had this epitaph placed on his tombstone. He who dies with the most toys wins. What did he win? Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Loses his own soul. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? Our life doesn't consist in the things that we possess. You can't take it with you. You know, my dad, for several years, worked at a funeral home in California. And he said a lady showed up one day with a pair of pliers. And she wanted to extract her late husband's gold teeth. It's a true story. I think they may have even had to let her do that. But I thought the poor guy can't even take his old gold teeth with him to the grave. It wouldn't have mattered if he could. It wouldn't have done him any good in eternity. This stuff is all going to be left behind. The stuff that people strive for, give their lives for, in a moment it's going to be gone. When we step over on the other side, none of that stuff's going to matter. I heard one man say that gold is a thing that man strives for, gives his very life for on earth, but it's used as pavement in heaven. So the streets of gold are going to be what makes up heaven. Is the, the, the streets will be made up of gold. This stuff in this life makes no difference in eternity. Jesus, as he was warning against covetousness, he gives us, of course, the parable Chapter 12, verse 16 through 21, says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, drink, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, from the world's perspective, they'd say this man was very wise. He'd worked hard. He'd invested well. And apparently his investments seemed to pay off. He had stored up all this stuff. He was going to pull down his barns and live off the proceeds and the fruits of his labors. The world would say he was wise. But Jesus said he was a fool. He wasn't a fool because he planned ahead and he tried to, um, no doubt, make the best of what he had. But he was a fool because he spent his whole, whole entire earthly life planning for this life. Didn't give one thought to the life to come. Not once do we see him acknowledging the Lord in any of this narrative here. You know, it's okay to plan, but if you do it independently and outside of Christ, it's a fool's errand. It won't profit you anything in the end, what's your life? It's a vapor. What have you been doing with that vapor? 
You know, a person doesn't have to be rich or prosperous to be just like this rich fool. Tells us, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Anyone who insists on continuing to live for themselves, anyone who forsakes and turns away the mercy of God, anyone who ignores or resists the call of God will one day end up just like this rich fool. I've heard those who've told me, well, I'm considering getting saved. I'm considering becoming a Christian. I had a man tell me one time, I'm not currently walking with the Lord, but I plan to someday. If you're here this morning and you're telling yourself that, stop. Stop considering and start doing. The word consider means to think carefully with regards to taking action. Hell is full of people who considered getting saved. They considered getting right with the Lord, but they considered one day too late. Tragically, consideration leads to procrastination. In Acts, we read the story about uh, Paul as he was preaching to Felix concerning the gospel of Christ. And it says, as Felix reasoned within himself of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, he trembled. The Spirit of the Lord was dealing with his heart. Sent him away. He said, I'll call for you at a more convenient time. Never read about another opportunity that Felix ever had to make his peace with the Lord. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. A few years ago, we had a man living in our neighborhood in California. Went in one afternoon for rotator cuff surgery came back and was sitting in his lawn chair in his driveway a couple days later, died from a massive aneurysm. His wife actually found him a couple of, day, a couple of hours later. Who would have thought? Went in for just a simple surgery, but it created a blood clot. And in a moment of time, he was gone. Boast not yourself of tomorrow. Nobody knows what a day may bring forth. You know when you're going to get saved? You get saved when the Spirit of the Lord draws you. You get saved when the Spirit of the Lord convicts your heart. We don't have that luxury of determining that time for ourselves. It's foolish and presumptuous to think we can decide. No, the Bible says today, consider this, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Today, if you hear my voice, harden not your hearts. Amos 4.12 says, prepare to meet thy God. We're all going to meet God someday. Every one of us. We're going to meet him prepared or unprepared. But the good news is today the Lord gives you a golden opportunity right now. If he's speaking to your heart, you can meet the Lord today. You can confess your sins, repent, ask the Lord to Take over your life and he'll give you that peace. You'll know that you're ready to meet him whenever that day may be. Now is the time. Now is the accepted time. You know, if you're seeking the Lord for a deeper experience, there's no better time than today. We want to be about the master's business. But thank God he gives us an opportunity even today. These altars are open. Don't put it off another day. You may not have another opportunity, but today... 
Today, if you'll, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. Call on the name of the Lord. The Lord will save you. He'll help you today. Whatever you may need, God's here. He's willing to give. We just need to be willing to receive. We're going to sing 479. These altars are open.